Well, welcome to the very first Mad Dogs and Englishman podcast. Uh, I'm Charles Cook, and I have Kevin Williamson here. And uh, we're going to talk about California to start with. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Tell well, me about California. <clears throat> well, first of all, um, we were talking about this earlier. Conservatives have a sort of love-hate thing about California, which is they sort of love to hate it, and they cheerlead for the death and destruction of California and want to see it fall off into the ocean. And as you and I, I think, both agree, that's um, precisely the wrong point of view because California is really the most beautiful place in the United States, if not the world. Uh, one of the reasons I write so much about it and that I care so much about it is because I'd like to see it turned around because I wouldn't mind living there at some point in the future. You know, we all talk about moving to Texas because, uh, well, I'm from there, but also because of the you know friendlier political and economic environment. But where you really want to move to is California because it's really just so much nicer. I say it as a native Texan. There's no comparison between the two. And so, you know, you hate to see it fall apart. And conservatives, I think, shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't cede all the good stuff to the, to the bad guys. We shouldn't cede Manhattan and Brooklyn and California and the cities and other things that we like. So, yeah, California, terrible mess. Um, I was writing about the economy earlier this week. Uh, essentially the transformation of San Francisco into the equivalent of a gated community uh, where it's essentially economics instead of instead of laws uh, keeping people out. But some interesting California news this week, uh, Occidental Petroleum, which is one of the biggest companies in California, I think it's number 115 or something on the, on the Fortune 500, is relocating to Houston, Texas, and surprise, surprise, an oil company moving to Houston. Uh, so Chevron, I guess, is still going to be based in California, but who knows for how long. I mean, they haven't said anything about about moving, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But an interesting Apple, which is getting ready to build a $5 billion uh, headquarters in Cupertino, California, just announced an expansion in Austin, Texas, where they're going to have nearly uh, 4,000 employees, I guess. So I think that'll make it their second biggest site. As I understand it, that makes their Austin operation about three or four times the size of their European headquarters. So it's a, uh, it's a significant... Uh, investment. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm struck by the conservative dislike for California in some ways, but it is natural. I mean, if, if somebody says to you, look, I'm going to stick a knife in my mouth and then go running, and you say, well, don't do that because you'll die, and then they die, there is a perverse satisfaction in there at some level. You say, I told you not to do that. And I think when conservatives say California, this is because California has for a while now sort of said, we're going to do everything that you say is bad and we're going to come out of it ahead. And so we sort of say, well, California kind of deserves this. You know, it's like the, there was that picture of, uh, whether it was real or not, um, of that person with the woman's studies sign and, you know, saying, well, I, I can't find a job and I have $60,000 of debt. With my women's studies degree. Right, and, and I took a, a sort of perverse pleasure in that, not because this person was uh, in trouble or because, uh, you know, they couldn't feed themselves or they were stuck with a child at home, just because for years people have been saying, well, look, by all means, study whatever you like, but please don't expect there to be a magical consequence to this. We all know what happens when you, you know, study basket weaving. Yeah, all, all I did was a minor in women's studies. So, right. You know, I, you know, I majored but, in English. But the thing is, and it's, and it's fine really to study whatever you want, and it's fine for California to do what it wants as well, but there are consequences to these things, and it's sort of the whining about it. So I guess when people say, well, I'm moving to Texas, like, Texas is great. Well, Texas is kind of great. I mean, you look at their job uh, you know, growth, that's yeah. in large part because they've done what we think they should do, and so we're pleased to see our, our buyers is confirmed and you know I, I bet California nowhere well at all I spent a lot of time there as a kid uh, it, it really is the most beautiful place and conservatives who haven't been there 
sometimes fail to realise what it's like. They don't believe. Jane Audlinger was saying that he wanted to debunk how great California is the first time he went there, and after about two hours of being there, he said, well, this is paradise. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Paradise what we need lost. to do is engineer some sort of California refugee crisis, where we get all the people who live there to relocate to some place like British Columbia. Absolutely. Well, it has to be somewhere they can't ruin, though. Well, I don't care if they ruin British Columbia. No, that's yeah. fine. But but I don't want them moving to, say, Wyoming. Or Texas. Or Texas. Which is the real danger. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. if you've got another couple of thousand Apple employees going to Austin. I mean, of course, Austin's already going to be a mess politically because Travis County is, oh, to the left of whatever's to the left, uh, whatever's off the charts on that side. But, you know, for aggregate votes statewide, things like presidential races, uh, you know, possibly a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, though, that California has taken this turn, especially in that part, because it really thrived under what was a Wild West libertarian sort of culture in that in that central area. Yeah, if you can imagine if we had, you know, 1960s and 70s style telecom rules surviving into the 80s and 90s, there would have been no information revolution. There would have been no Internet uh, as we know it. It would have been a whole a whole different sort of thing. I think it's uh, California is a good case of the, uh, you know, the diseases of affluence. It's the political version of gout. Uh, when you've done so well and uh, there seems to be so little downside for being dumb. You know, in the, in the 90s, we, we had this joke during the Clinton administration that, you know, we could, we could afford to be stupid mm. because the economy was doing so well. We could experiment. We could try different sorts of things. We could maybe spend some money on stuff that wasn't entirely essential. And that all seemed like a really great idea about 1997, mm-hmm. 1998. Uh, then suddenly it didn't seem like nearly such a good idea. Speaking of things that aren't good ideas... Have you ever emptied a gun into a car full of kids? I haven't. I don't want to either. No, that was a, a, a subtle segue into our next topic, which is the Dunn trial. And the news that this morning a juror has confirmed that there were, in fact, people on the jury, three it seems, who who bought Michael Dunn's self-defense claim, which I have to say um, I think is preposterous, having followed the case myself. Um Justice is, of course, a process, and the mistrial was the mistrial, and there will be another one. But really, his his story was full of holes, and uh, the the verdict was was unsatisfying. Certainly, for me. Having said that, having said that, I think there's been so much misinformation around this Dunn trial that it's probably important to correct some of it. Uh, the first thing is this really did have nothing to do with Stand Your Ground. In case anyone listening doesn't really know what Stand Your Ground is, Stand Your Ground is a rule that 34 states have that if you are threatened, and you have to actually be threatened, you can't start the fight, and you have to be objectively under the impression that you're threatened, that you do not have to take a safe exit if one exists. Now, in this case, no safe exit existed because the defendant claimed there was a shotgun three feet away and also his fiancée was in the closed store. So this really had nothing to do with standing your ground and I presume nobody is in favour of repealing all the self-defence laws. What this does mean is that people who are angry with Florida are angry with the jury. The jury bought a story from a man who claimed he was threatened by a gun that they didn't find and he didn't mention to his fiancée, uh, who by all accounts started the altercation and then fled the scene afterwards, ordered a pizza and didn't call the police. Now, I find that very difficult uh, to digest. Nevertheless, it is probably better to have a system in which the defendants uh, get off, and he hasn't got off, of course, it was mistried and there are four guilty verdicts, but get off than are, than are prosecuted at will. 
Right, so he was convicted on the attempted murder charges, but had a mistrial on the... And of firing missiles into a vehicle or whatever the words are. And something we've talked about before, and this is a real sort of liberal conservative split, which is that people like us can kind of digest that verdict a little more easily because we see justice as a matter of process. Mm -hmm. So there was a fair trial, the jury did what it did, it came to a conclusion that neither you or I think is probably entirely the right one. But it seems like an okay outcome. Uh, but the left doesn't see justice as a matter of process. They see it as a matter of outcomes only. It doesn't matter what the process is. It's just a matter of outcome. And that's true whether it's criminal cases or whether it's distribution of, of wealth and income in society. So I, I think that um, you're right about that in that the people who are really unhappy on the left with this, with this outcome uh, simply are looking at it as an outcome, not as a question of how legal processes work, how trial or jury works. Yeah, and I think you often have to ask the question, okay, you're annoyed about this, and I'm annoyed about this, but what are you actually going to do about it? Now, I don't think that anybody would suggest that defendants should not be able to claim self-defense in court when they've been accused of something by the state, and I don't think that anybody would want to see the 49 out of the 50 states that currently make it incumbent upon the state to prove that the defendant wasn't acting in self-defense inverted. I think those principles are probably 90, 10, 95, 5 issues in the country at large. I also presume that most people wouldn't want to get rid of a jury trial. So the question has to be, okay, you don't like what this jury used its power to decide. Fine. But what do you actually want to change about that? And really all you're left with is, well, juries are unreliable uh, in the context of what I wish them to do. Well, absolutely. But that's their prerogative. Now, in some places this has been uh, presented as an indictment of concealed carry. Now, you're a gun guy. I'm a gun guy. I've had concealed carry permits in a few states, although tragically not in the place in which I currently live because New York City makes it impossible. I know you're working on getting a concealed carry permit for where you live. Uh, as someone who's a fan of these arrangements and who thinks that you know 9 out of 10 people I would be better off having a concealed carry permit. It's still the case that there is gross irresponsibility. It's just the human condition. I mean, if alcohol is legal, people are going to drink irresponsibly. If cars are legal, people are going to drive irresponsibly. And if concealed carry is permitted, there are going to be people out there who use their guns irresponsibly. And uh, this is just, I think... uh, Well, and if concealed carry is not permitted, of course, because people will just carry them Because those people are already criminals. But... um, you know, as you know, when you get a concealed carry permit uh, and the sort of culture around uh, the world of people who carry, you know, there's a very strong uh, sort of sense of sanction against putting yourself in situations where you might be tempted to use your gun. You know, you walk away from conflicts. You don't carry a gun into a bar. You don't go to uh, a bad part of town that you wouldn't normally go to just because you've got a gun. And what do you think we can do as, uh, you know, Second Amendment enthusiasts and as gun enthusiasts to, uh, to bolster that and to ensure that people who do get permits to carry act like grown-ups and not like idiots? Well, the good news on this, I suppose, and as somebody who writes about firearms a lot, I follow quite a lot of blogs uh, and forums on which people discuss these issues, and there is already a very pronounced message there to people who've just started carrying or who are going to carry. Look, as you say, do not get into an argument when you're carrying a firearm. If you do get into an argument, lose the argument. Walk away. Become the most humble you have ever been. You're not a policeman. You're not a neighborhood watch guy. You're not in the army. It is there in case and in the extreme circumstances that you need to use it. So don't go to a bad part of town and think, well, I'm armed. Now, 
I don't think that mandatory classes are the best way of dealing with this. But if you look at the expansion of concealed carry and indeed of firearms purchases recently, uh, a lot of them are actually sort of Tocquevillian little platoons. They're people going to their neighbour and saying, hey, I run a concealed carry class, do you want to cover yourself? Their husbands saying to their wives, increasingly, maybe you should carry. And wives saying to their husband more and more. And so given that those people are already invested in this idea, it, it... it's a good idea, perhaps, to encourage them to say, right, and here are the rules, yeah. and here is the point of this. And maybe, and maybe to be honest, gun uh, rights advocates such as myself could make more of an issue of this. Yeah, there is a, uh, a cultural thing there and an etiquette thing. You know, the one gun range that I like to go to, um, you know, they take everything so seriously. If you walk in wearing a baseball cap with the bill on backward, they'll just throw you out. <laughs> you know, you just can't come in. Uh, they want you to, uh, you know, approach this as a matter of something that's serious and indeed a, a life and death, a life and death issue. So should that do it for the day? I think. I think it should. All right, we'll be doing this five days a week. Uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Look for us at National Review and on iTunes.